Just ask Terry Fawson to come up. He'll be sharing the Word of God with us today. Uh, Terry um, is a regional minister. Uh, if, for those of you who don't know, we are our denomination is a part of an association of churches, which is we're, we're part of called the Alberta Baptist Association, and which is, Terry is the uh, regional minister. And I've known Terry for several years now, and just been uh, a brother in Christ, and always encouraging. And so, just gonna, we're trusting that he'll bring the word of God, and I trust that you'll be encouraged from it today. Today. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much, Pastor. It's great to to worship here together with you. I always like to come here to Troshu. Uh, I think you may all not know that that I show up here throughout the year at different times, like for renew events and other pastor cluster gatherings, and uh, deeply appreciate uh, that we have been given your hospitality. Um, at uh, a regular, ongoing basis. You know, the mission of the ABA, the Alberta Baptist Association of 60 Churches, is to connect churches and resource churches so they can impact their communities for the kingdom of God. Uh, that's uh, an important mission. We don't do it uh, as as a couple, three people at the regional office. We don't do all of that we do it together as a group of churches. As, as churches connect, they do help to resource one another. And as you are praying for the association, as you did this morning, uh, for Calmar Community Baptist Church uh, just moments ago, and the ministries of the association and of our conference of churches like in Brazil and beyond, as we do it together, we believe we can do so much more together than we could ever do by ourselves. So we want to highlight the fact that you as a church here at Troshu Baptist Church are really setting the example of what it means to impact communities. I don't know, I don't know how often I um, share with other churches that what's going on in this church, through this church to reach this region for the gospel, with the gospel for the kingdom of God. So I, I just celebrate. I Praise God for the privilege to worship together with you and and to have the time together with you to recognize that we're all in this together. And I'm very, very grateful for your prayers, for the association, your giving to the association financially, but also in opening up your doors and the hospitality you provide. And uh, God bless you for that. Let's pray as we are about to enter into the scriptures together. Lord, thank you that we are your children. We are part of your kingdom. Even as we approach your table today in recognition of your sacrifice on our behalf, we pause as we've been singing in worship together we pause again to adore you and and worship you and give you all the glory and honor that is due your name. Because without you, we would be lost. With, without you, we would be facing judgment. But because of your grace, because of your mercy and your love for us, you have paid the ransom and you are setting us free daily. So Lord, please lead us to be... Uh, proclamators of that good news to all of this region and all 
wherever you place us, in our homes, our families, in the, in, in the extended families, the communities in which we are living, but also in, in this world, wherever we have opportunity, a world that is filled with fear and violence in these days. We pray that you, O Prince of Peace, will be lifted up and the good news of your love will be proclaimed and celebrated. Even as we do now, as we open up your word, we pray that you would teach us, you would teach us by your spirit that you said you would send to teach us. And as we study your scriptures, would you aliven our hearts to the things you want us to know and things you want us to do in response. For this we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I do appreciate the the worship team and uh, the songs that were selected and so uh, effectively leading us towards an attentiveness to our Lord Jesus. Because uh, as one of the the last songs that was sung, uh, How Great Is Our God, well-known song, other songs were in preparation, really helping us to get ready for the communion table as well. But this, How Great Is Our God, speaks of him having been clothed in light and how there was trembling at his feet. And, uh, and we're going to take a look at some scripture today that really highlights that um, and, and, and really helps us understand as we find ourselves approaching Easter, uh, all the significance of, of who Jesus is. Our, our Savior, our Lord, the one who gave his life for us, that's what we are, we are regularly celebrating. But as we come towards Easter to understand how he knew that actually was working together with the Father in planning towards that for our sake. So as we look at Scripture today, it is really to get our eyes fixed upon Jesus and to, to talk together today about worship. You know, in, in the New Testament, the language of worship is very interesting. Uh, like most true love relationships, true worship has something to do with kissing. And now the silence is deafening in here. I mean, uh, everybody's, you know, don't poke someone next to you right now. Um, but the, the New Testament word for worship, there are several words for worship, but one of the most common is a Greek word named proskuneo. You can practice that when you have opportunity. And it literally means to kiss towards like that. You can envision this lover over here and this lover over here. And, and one is saying kiss towards, sharing what's going on within them. To worship means to metaphorically open up the heart. It means to cast my thoughts, my feelings, my innermost inclinations towards the object of my greatest affection and love and passion. I express in an outward fashion what's going on inside of me when I worship. In so many words, worship is to let the inside out. I unveil the truth of my innermost being when I worship. My worship becomes a proskuneo, a kiss of love, a kiss of honor, a kiss that lifts up that which I consider to be worthy. And as such, worship is worthship. I worship whatever becomes the object of greatest worth to me. 
Whatever becomes the object of my greatest affection. I worship whatever becomes my treasure. Jesus was actually pointing to worship when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Ultimately, I worship, you worship, any one of us worship whatever captures our hearts. Whatever we choose to pour our heart into. So really, when we think about it, we can worship people or possessions. We can worship all kinds of things. We can worship thoughts or things. We can worship careers or cultures. Depending upon how we pour our heart, passion after those things. We can worship sports. That never happens in Alberta. Or stocks. We can worship the Bible, actually. We can even worship the church, strangely enough. We can worship worship, as happens in some scenarios. Or we can worship the Lord. So, the classic theological statement from the great Westminster Confession reminds us that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever certainly sounds a lot like that kind of understanding of worship to glorify God and enjoy him forever what would happen if Jesus was just to make himself bodily visible here this morning as we are worshiping him together. If he just in bodily fashion came walking down the aisle and sat down there or came up and stood beside me, what would happen if we actually visually saw that happen? Eugene Peterson says that the first thing that wise people do in the presence of Jesus is worship. Not not congratulate themselves for having found him, not even ask him a bunch of questions nor attempt to get something from him, but offer themselves to him. But I wonder what that worship would actually be like. How would you and I, if we saw him come and walk right down in bodily form, effectively proskuneo, or kiss towards Jesus, to let the inside out, to let him know what's going on in our hearts, to let him know that he is the object of our greatest passion, of our greatest love. I wonder what it would be like. I'm sure many of us would be on our knees, maybe on our faces right before the Lord. I think several would be doting over him, uh, making sure he had no need of anything. Can I get you a cup of coffee? Would you like, a, you know, one of these squares I brought? It was fantastic. You know, I mean, what would we be doing? Several would be breaking out in song like some can. I wouldn't try that myself, but there's others here who can. They Or, or verse, or, or having the opportunity to just applaud him, adore him, magnify his name, finding the words. Oh. But I'm sure if he walked down this aisle this morning, every one of us, without exception, would be extremely attentive to him. Right? I think we would be watching his every move, hanging on his slightest whisper, ready to respond. Which then begs the question, knowing that he is with us, we, we, we know that, that's what the scriptures tell us, that's what we celebrate he is with us. I never will leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always. Knowing that, 
the question that begs is, why don't we then worship him like that? Keep him attentive before us at all times. Well, we are told in scriptures that even though he is with us and even though we know that he loves us and and is and is sometimes so poignantly noticeable and very many times not so poignantly noticeable we wonder what it is that gets in the way of us persistently regularly honoring him in such fashion essentially our struggle in worship is seldom a matter of our decision that we choose not to worship him or somehow choose to just ignore him or anything like that. Instead, our struggle with worship in life in general is typically a matter of just simple distraction. I don't know about you, but that's that way for me. Of some things that just happen in life, things that that demand our attention like busyness or obligation or irritation or pain, sickness, is a distraction. Sometimes we are distracted by things that confuse our perspective, like loss, disappointment, fear, failure. Sometimes we are distracted by things which tempt our hearts and absorb our passions, like success, or pleasure, or or pride, or complacency. Struggle in worship tends to drift over our lives, doesn't it? As we lose track of where Jesus is and and somehow somehow misrepresent or forget his identity. It becomes blurry, it becomes obscured by life. And that's not something new. That's something that we read about and understand throughout Christian history. But as we even see in the scriptures, even people who walked very closely with Jesus bodily had trouble seeing him clearly and really grasping the fullness of who he really is. There was that very pivotal occasion in Jesus' ministry that's recorded in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus asked his closest followers a very probing question about his identity. He says, who do people say that I am? After hearing several responses, Jesus pressed those followers a little closer saying, okay, but who do you say that I am? And in his typical outspoken fashion, Peter replied, you know, you've been studying Peter, Pastor Allen and others have been leading you through Peter over the last months. In typical fashion, Peter immediately replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter had answered correctly, but not understood completely. Because when Jesus began to explain some of the implications of that identity, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he says, uh, that's right, there's a Messiah must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and raised up on the third day. Talking about the unfolding of his own crucifixion and resurrection. Peter, when he heard that, did what seems to be the unthinkable. We read in verse 22 of this chapter, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. You know, that's 
probably not a good idea when you stop and think of, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now I'm rebuking you. Now, anyway, God forbid this, Lord. This will not happen to you. And of course, recognizing the hand of the enemy in Peter's remarks, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's interests. Even though Peter understood and confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter's inappropriate behavior towards Jesus indicated that he had not really grasped Jesus' identity. and He he didn't really know Jesus. So it should not surprise us to discover in just the very next verses, in chapter 17 of Matthew, only a few days after that failed examination, Jesus took Peter, as well as James and John, up to a high mountain. <clears throat> and something happened there which functionally readdressed the question of Jesus' identity. Something happened high up on that mountain which forever transformed the disciples, how they would see Jesus. We pick up that account uh, in Matthew chapter 17, and if we listen carefully to the scriptures, we discover something of what builds true worship among God's people. We read in verses 1 through 3, six days later, three of them saw the glory of God. This is the message translation, or the message uh, passage, um, a translation of this passage. Jesus took Peter and brothers James and John and led them up to a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out, right before their eyes. Sunlight poured from his face. His clothes were filled with light. Then they realized that Moses and Elijah were also there in deep conversation with him, with Jesus. And Peter broke in. Master, this is a great moment. What would you think if I built three memorials here on the mountain? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still going on like this, babbling, a light radiant cloud enveloped them and surrounding them deep in the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, marked by my love, focus of my delight. Listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell flat on their faces, scared to death. But Jesus came over, touched them. Don't be afraid. When they opened their eyes and looked all around, all they could see was Jesus, only Jesus. It must have been like a dream, right? Up on that mountain, that mountain called the Mount of Transfiguration, a supernatural unveiling occurred. An unveiling that helped Peter, James, and John to see Jesus for who he is. An unveiling that afforded Peter and his friends, and indeed all of us, a view of Jesus that transforms wanderers into worshipers. According to Matthew 17, 1 through 8, true passion and worship involves first remembering God's work. Matthew 17.3, we read, Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. In biblical history, Moses stands out as the greatest of the lawgivers, and Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, arguably. These two men were undisputably twin peaks of Israel's history and achievement. 
And they were summoned to the Mount of Transfiguration for one purpose, to point to Jesus. To Jesus, the consummation of history, as the one for whom history had been waiting, as the one who would accomplish God's plan. When all the disciples of old saw Jesus elevated between these two spiritual giants, they could see God's plan. Their eyes were open to understand Jesus' pivotal place in time and eternity, and some of the magnificence of our Lord was suddenly being unveiled. Worship always, always involves remembering what God has done. Taking time to appreciate again what God always has been involved in in our lives, in human history. Worship always involves remembering, recounting the marvelous things he's accomplished in your life, my life. And lives of other followers, reading about that, singing about that, talking together about that. When we fellowship together around the potbelly dinners, or whatever they're called, and enjoy that together, we're talking about, remember when I was sick and you prayed for me? Remember when I was a, just first came to church and I came to, remember? Remember? Bearing testimony of his personal, practical, powerful involvement in our lives getting to that place to stand in awe again as we review the mighty work of his hand, of his sovereign work among us. The Psalms are, is called the book of worship for the kingdom of God. It's filled with one specific reference after another, remembering God's work. That's why all the great worshipers utilize the Psalms. Take Mary, the mother of Jesus, for example. Listen to her, which we often read carefully at Christmas time. Her, her song called the Magnificat, the Magnificat, the Magnificent, comes out of that. It's recorded in Luke chapter 1. To hear this song of worship, which she composed as she celebrated the significance of the child she was carrying. Verse uh, 2 of Psalm 34, this this is taken in, in, uh, in, in her soul exalts the Lord. That's, that's a quote right from the Psalms. Then she sings, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, Psalm 35, verse 9. Then she sings, his loving kindness is upon generation after generation, remembering all of that towards all who fear him, Psalm 103, 17. He has done mighty deeds with his arm, scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. That's from Psalm 98, 1. He filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Psalm 107, verse 9. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Psalm 132, verse 11. When we worship, we must always take time to remember. According to Matthew 17, true worship, passionate worship, involves remembering God's work, but secondly, discovering God's wonder. Verse 5, we read in this chapter, Suddenly, a bright cloud overshadowed them. All throughout biblical history, the luminous cloud stood for the Shekinah, which has nothing less than reminding everyone that they're in the presence, the glorified presence of Almighty God. 
wherever that cloud was, that signified that God is there. God was with them. So when the disciples of old saw Jesus' face light up like the sun, and then this Shekinah glory envelop him, they could see God's presence. Their eyes were opened to discover more of what God looks like in flesh and blood, and more of the magnificence of our Lord was being unveiled. But the appearance of that luminous cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration was not just a way for God to formally introduce himself. That Shekinah glory was God's way of saying in no uncertain terms, be on the alert. Things are happening. I'm not off in some corner of the universe. I'm here. And I want you to notice what I am doing right now. Worship always involves discovering what God is presently doing. Taking time, if we need to, to get to some quiet place, some other high place maybe, throwing off the myopic shaded glasses of our day-to-day and putting on the binoculars of vision to see what God is doing right now, the wonders of his presence. Our family Growing up, my wife and our six children, we loved to go backpacking, hiking, camping in the mountains. And one of our favorite places uh, is just west of Nordig, you know, that whole beautiful area, Abraham Lake and all. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of doing a wedding on a particular mountain in that region. It was, it was a mountain called Mount Baldy. I see a few of you are named after that. But anyway, I mean, uh, sorry, that was that wasn't fair. But uh, anyway, at the top of that mountain was a, is a, was a ranger station. We as a family would hike up there later on in, in our years. And at the top of that, in that ranger station was a, a woman named Maggie. She spent her days from the end of May to the end of October. She was a hospitable person, a sister in the Lord and a poet in her own right. And Maggie's essential role on that mountaintop was to regularly, consistently survey the vast forests populating the mountain regions, noticing anything that resembled fire. She was a fire ranger of that. She kept her eyes peeled for smoke. And of course, when we worship, we aren't looking in our day-to-day for smoke We are looking for light to discover God's Shekinah today, now. Not artificial light, not temporary light, not sporadic light, not dull light, but bright, joyful, exciting light, luminous Shekinah light, the light of the world that's dispelling the darkness, removing the fear of our world, giving hope where there's a cloud of of anxiety and suspicion invading the humanity that we live in, spelling out words of hope in darkness, joy in darkness, peace, spelling out J-E-S-U-S in the darkness that can envelop us. And we don't have to look far to discover the wonder of God's presence. It shines, it shines wherever his love touches the soul. It may be shining in you right this moment and may be shining through you on the day today. When we worship, we take time to remember 
we take time to discover, according to the scriptures, worship that's true worship, passion in worship, involves remembering God's work, discovering God's wonder right now, and expecting, anticipating God's word. Matthew 17 continues in verse 5, concluding by telling us, suddenly a voice emerged from the cloud, the Shekinah, saying, this is my son. I don't know, I'm trying to figure that. You know, I'm, I wish I could say it, you know, really. I, there's no way for us to, this is my son. Listen to him. When Peter offered to prepare three tabernacles, remember as we just read through that, three tents of honor, of worship, God interrupted, elevating Jesus even above the greatest saints of old, Moses and Elijah, and clarified the absolute uniqueness of Christ. When the disciples heard that voice of God, their ears were open to receive the word of God about Jesus, and more of the magnificence of our Lord was suddenly being unveiled. But when the disciples heard that voice of God, they were also having their ears open to receive the word of God through Jesus. This is my beloved son, the voice said. Listen to him. Or maybe listen to him. You got these others there? You listen to him. Keep listening to him is what the verb listening means. It's a continuous tense. It doesn't mean listen to him once and then carry on with your life. It, it means keep on listening to him. Expect to hear more from him. Keep the channels open. Wait with anticipation for what God wants to say, what God wants to reveal, what God yet wants to do. Worship always involves anticipating what God is yet to do. Taking time, turning off the noise of life, frequently tuning into God's frequency, and simply listening. One of the things we talked about at our last Renew session here was that over these COVID years, there's been some struggle in relational matters. There's been struggles in ministry matters that have been brought to a halt. And there's just some struggle with vision. That our worlds have somehow contracted and gotten small. And, and we've, we've seen only through the lens of what is now being always brought to our attention, the COVID reality. And yet, it is at this time the Lord is calling us to re-envision and dream with Him. Imagine with Him again to listen to what He's expecting yet. That God is not finished with me and you, any one of us yet. When my wife and I, we, we've twice lived in Africa for a year at a time, once with our children, 206, and when he, she and I went the first time into Africa uh, to what is called the Mombula Plateau, you've got to say it in that way because that's how, it's the only way you can say it. We were there in 1985, and very remote part of that country, beautiful country, wonderful people. People has just filled us with great joy and love. People we treasure to this day. But we, at that time, in 1985, had no usual means of communication in that region. Of course, these cell phone things weren't even invented of, uh, that I knew about. And there, but there were no regular telephones, no televisions, no regular radio stations. 
We had no way of getting immediate information from the outside world except for a shortwave radio that had been left in the house that we were occupying. And when the weather was clear, we'd, we'd, we'd rush up from our classes that we were teaching at the Bible school, rush up to our little house. And when the weather was clear, and if we turned it really loud and tuned very carefully at precisely 12.08 at noon each day, we could hear the scratchy news broadcast on a shortwave radio from CBC in Canada. And uh, we'd go, and yeah, Edmonton Oil or Gretzky. That was it. That's all we ever knew until we got back. That great things that happened in, well, we won't talk about hockey right now. Believe me, when we made that connection, oh, we listened so carefully. Our ears were right to that speaker. We were intent, listening with the greatest anticipation. And of course, when we worship, we're not listening for news. We're listening for newness. We're listening for truth. We're listening for clarity. We're listening for direction. We're listening for the word of God. Because as the psalmist says, God's word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And as the disciples discover, God does speak. Do you believe God speaks? I do. In many different ways, but do we take time to listen is the question. It's the question I ask myself. To anticipate God's word to me, to you. Or do we get distracted? Peter, James, and John were no longer distracted. For them, all worship systems were go. All of their attention was focused on this Jesus who they were seeing and understanding and hearing as never before. Jesus, whose purpose is divine. Jesus, whose place is supreme. Jesus, whose plan is eternal, whose purpose is incomprehensible. Jesus, whose power is frightening. In fact, it is interesting to note how the scriptures summarize this incredible account. After Jesus, and his, with his characteristic gentleness, uh, came over to the disciples. Remember, the, the voice came out of the cloud. This is my son. What does the scripture say? They were on their faces, frightened, terrified. The followers of Jesus. And in his gentleness way, he touched his disciples Lifting their fears, we read in verse 8, very simply, lifting up their eyes, the disciples saw no one except Jesus alone. In that statement lies the basis of true worship. Worship means seeing Jesus and Jesus alone. Worship is all about Jesus. In so many ways, what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration centuries ago amounts to a kind of supernatural workshop on worship, where God taught the disciples then exactly what he wants us to learn now, and that is how to systematically remove the distractions from our lives, the distractions from worship in our lives. How do we do that? By taking time to remember, remembering God's work, 
How else do we do that? By taking time to discover, discovering his wonder right now, wherever that light is shining. And third, by taking time to anticipate God's word to us. What's yet his expectation? This represents God's strategy for elevating this Jesus who we seek to worship and enabling us to stay focused on him, to remember that worship is always all about Jesus, full stop. For opening our hearts so that we can let the inside out, so that we can get to or get back to our first love for Jesus, so that Jesus can be the focus of our greatest affection, so that we can proskuneo, kiss towards, truly worship our Lord, so that we can worship him with undistracted passion. It's no coincidence that throughout the history of the church, periods of significant awakening, times of revival, if we would use those terms, are consistently described as the veil which normally hides the Lord somehow be, is being drawn back. And people see him fully, more wonderfully than ever before. Oh, I'm praying. I'm praying, and I pray you will join me in that, for the church overall. For, but for all of us individually who claim his name, that we would see that veil, that maybe of life, of, of distractions, pulled back and we can see Jesus. Worship him for who he really is. That we will all sense something of what we read about in Revelations 5. Where the 24 elders fall before the Lamb and sing. You are worthy. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation on this planet. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive all the power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Living Christ, there is no other name in heaven or on earth by which we can be saved. other than your name. There's no other name to be given such worth, such glory, such power, such honor. And I pray in my life and in each one of our lives as your followers, particularly as once again we journey towards the cross and see again the, the awful reality of your sacrifice that once again we will be filled with the fullness of who you are remembering what you've done discovering what you are doing anticipating of what is yet to come as we recognize you for who you are it's you who we've come together today for may you lord be given all the praise of which you are worthy from our lips, from our hearts, from our lives. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, once again, I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing to the one who is worthy. And then as we change 
our minds to communion and remember the one who was slain, the one who was slain for our sins, which is what made him worthy, worthy of our praise. Extremely fitting as we consider our journey towards our celebration of Easter. And as we consider who it is we are worshiping that we gather around his table. Um, On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, we read in this in, in Paul's words to the Corinthians. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks for the bread, he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. This do, in remembering me. (laughs) He took something very common, very ordinary, bread, to constantly help us remove the distractions of life. Every time we sit down and eat a meal and break bread, remember me. Remember what I have done. Let's pray together in thanks for Jesus' sacrifice. Lord Jesus, to think that was your plan all along, that you would come, walk among us, teach us, talk with us, love us, forgive us, heal us, and then to die for us, to make us new, to give us new life and hope for eternity, but also for fullness now. So it's in recognition of your incredible sacrifice for us and all that that means that we worship you. We pray this in honor and glory to your name. Amen. As often as you eat this bread, Jesus said, you proclaim my death until I come again. Let's eat together and be thankful. Paul goes on to say that after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. There's been covenant that is lasted and God's promises are yes and amen. But this is a new covenant in my blood. 
poured out for you. As often as you drink this, you proclaim my death until I come again. Let's drink together and be thankful. Lord Jesus, thanks is is the word that does come to our our lips, um, and yet it just seems so insufficient. But Lord, you know the realities of our hearts. You know the things that can can get easily distractive in our lives. But Lord, in these moments as we acknowledge your incomprehensible love for us, we would like to say we love you too. And we pray that our lives will reflect that love for you by the way that we think, by the way we organize our days, by the words we speak, by how we choose to love, forgive, care for others. Or we pray that you will know we love us and we love you by the way we obey you and follow your example. And as you have given your life for us, that we would give our lives in following you for others as we share your love with others in our words and in our ways. And as we do, Lord, we pray you would continue to bless us and keep us and make your face shine on us and be gracious to us. That you would keep us from being distracted. That you would lift up your countenance upon us and give us your peace. This we pray in your precious name, dear Jesus. Amen. Great to be with you. God bless you. God be with you.